Welcome back to Square Horror. I am your Duke of Spook, Danny. I'm the Master of Ceremonies, Matt. I'm so excited to go back to college for this movie, Dan. I know. It's so nice to be back. It's like I've only been gone for like two whole months. Yeah, it's almost like you, you, it's a constant string of wake up and go to bed and it, every day is the same and it's almost like it has no end. But then boom, it's over and you're like, oh, now what? It's almost like a COVID quarantine for a week straight. Oof. Is it? <laughs> Waking up and doing the same thing for every day back to back? Yeah, it's kind of become the it's kind of become the norm around here. Danny's sore that um, he's in quarantine, folks. <laughs> I'm almost free. I don't even have COVID, I but mean, I'm almost free. <laughs> we're glad at the very least that you are not sick cuz uh it's not a good time, especially not to do this show, because uh, I need f- maximum peak physical energy for this episode, Danny. I can't have you being sick. I need, your, I need you with me on this one. Oh, don't you fret, my friend. I am so excited to be talking about today's movie, because I love this movie. Yeah? I haven't been this gung-ho about one of our movies in a long time, or at least going into it. By the oh, time good. we record, I'm, like, I'm always excited. <laughs> I'm like, oh, good, that's No, reassuring. by the time we're recording, I'm always excited, but this one, <laughs> when we first talked about it, I was just like, oh, fuck yeah, we get to talk about Happy Death Day. Yeah, Happy Death Day. Um, it, I think, it, now looking back, that's one of like the new Blumhouse classics like blumhouse has introduced a new like a whole new level of uh, horror to a whole new generation of people and they swing for the fences every single time for the most part and a lot of times they knock it out of the park a lot of times they don't knock it out of the park this one is though a very definitive grand slam yes it absolutely is um and i think that's in part due to um the director christopher landon and the uh, screenwriter whose name is eclipsing me at the moment. His name's Scott something. Lobdell or like Lobdell or Lobdell. Yeah. 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 So those people are pretty noteworthy for two div- completely different reasons um, that bring a lot. They, and they bring a lot of themselves to the movie. Uh, the director is all over the paranormal activity franchise. He's listed as a producer from paranormal activity Two onward. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's a lot of those elements of that franchise, which we'll cover one day. They tend to cover a lot of, uh, you know, it's spooky. It's a lot of bill, but it also has to be very relatable because you need to believe that these are real people experiencing this paranormal activity. So he brings a lot of realness to the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, what would you say about that for sure? For, uh, for these guys? Um, so yeah, I really love uh, Christopher Landon's ability to blend the horror genre with um, realistic comedy, um, because especially in this movie in particular, he finds a really interesting way to um, dive into a realistic character growth, as well as some just really weird and wacky kind of um not opportunities, but um, chances for growth, I guess I'll say. Right, absolutely. Um, like, it, and it's, so... Like, to have it be a, a chance for growth movie instead of a horror movie at its core, I think you're right, is what makes it very special. Mm-hmm. Well, and he delves back into my uh, more youth. Um, he actually wrote the movie Disturbia with Shia LaBeouf from 2007. Yeah. <laughs> which is essentially a modern take on Rear Window. Have you um, seen Disturbia? 
I have, but it's probably been about a decade now. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to give a refresh to watch it, but I do remember it being a very, like, hip movie. Like, it was written for yeah. time. Um, and yeah, he has his he has his hands on basically every paranormal activity that came out after the first one. Um, so, depending on how you feel about paranormal activity, you can at least say that the first few are really good, um, and he had his hands in those, so you can't say he's just involved with what some people call the bad ones. And look, he's just a producer, uh, <laughs> so at the very least, he just believes in the franchise. I think he also wrote well, Paranormal he, Activity 5. <laughs> he wrote from 2 onward. Um, oh, he wrote them activity. too. Okay. That's fair. I'll still give it to him. <laughs> um, and then he, in a, another movie we've covered, he was our uh, writer-director for Freaky with yes. um, Catherine Newton and Vince Vaughn. Yeah, we definitely which, had to talk about that. if you remember our bonus episode, uh, we had a lot of fun with that one. Yeah, this one feels like, when I watched Freaky, I'm like, this is Happy Death Day's like, younger brother. Like they're very, yes. they are, they hit a lot of the same stripes and they hit them with a lot of the very same grace, um, mm-hmm. and, and attention to, to younger audiences. There was a little bit more about freaky that I didn't particularly enjoy. Um, I mm-hmm. felt like maybe this movie has a little bit more strengths than it does weaknesses. Um, I would absolutely agree. Yeah. This one was, it is still a very big standout. I remember when it came out, I was working at the, uh, Cinemark movie theater in the Stratford Square Mall still, uh, and I remember yes. I remember the the poster going up, and you know, just like every Blumhouse movie, it, instead of saying Blumhouse, it says from the producers of, and they pick a bunch of different movies. Usually, mm-hmm. they'll pick like Get Out because they produced that, uh, The Purge, mm-hmm. uh, The Visit for some strange reason, um, and then you want to know you want to know the weird one that shows up on my Blu-ray copy of this one. What is it? The three movies that they say Blumhouse produced, which is true, but is a weird combination, is they say from the producers of Get Out, The Purge, and Whiplash. They put which Whiplash? is true. They produced Whiplash no, back yeah, in 2014, yeah. <laughs> but I'm surprised that on Happy Death Day they put uh, from the producers of Whiplash, yeah. which. Having just rewatched Whiplash, I actually think is a good way of them letting you know that this is very much a character piece. Right. Uh, it's a it's a character com- horror comedy. It is very much about Tree going through these ordeals. And I think you're absolutely dead on with that reasoning because the one I remember from the poster and the one that's on most posters for this movie is uh, The Visit instead of the other one. And mm-hmm. I have only just recently seen The Visit for the first time. Uh, and while it is a weird Shyamalan movie, it also does <laughs> have a surprising amount of character depth and attention to uh, nuance when it comes to how they wrote at evocative emotional characters. And I was not really expecting that at all from a found footage movie about grandparents. Like it was and fucking first of all, Catherine, yeah. ha- Catherine <laughs> Hahn is in the movie. Did you know that? Wait, she's in the visit? Yeah, dude. She's the mom of the kids that go visit grandma and grandpa. You're kidding. And she's got like a surprisingly dark and very deep uh like 
backstory to her character. It was very interesting. Interesting. Um, but enough about the visit. But I do think that that yeah. speaks to just like you said with Whiplash. This movie is mm-hmm. a character movie, and Blumhouse wants you to know that they're like, yes, it's mm-hmm. going to handle with the the you know the blockbuster sincerity of Get Out. It's going to be as um, intense at times as The Purge. It's going to be scary when it needs to be, just like those movies are. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have heart and attention to character like Whiplash or The Visit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess we're just lucky this came out before Halloween 2018 because now everything with Blumhouse is just Halloween. And you know what? It's they deserve true. that. Because <laughs> once they got the rights to Halloween, it's game over, dude. And they killed it with Halloween 2018. And Halloween kills. They kill. And Halloween kills. <laughs> and we'll see in October if they can finish out the trilogy with Halloween ends. Hey, we haven't talked about this on a show yet, and we'll save this for a bonus episode maybe. But um, Halloween ends is going to rock everybody's socks off. <laughs> I'm so fucking excited, man. Okay. <laughs> Bef- before that, we're going to take you back to 2016? 17. 17. Um, to to a college, what college was like 2017, which was my freshman year of college. And it was the first time that I had seen a movie that took high school or college, honestly, at like the same time that I was. And mm-hmm. it's surprising and kind of nicer to see how much this movie hits harder having graduated from college also like it's so authentically college through and through yeah yeah i think that's a really i think that's a really good point because um i mean i was a theater college student so i didn't go to college like most people did i went to Uh, college the same way that you did (laughs) For the most part. Okay. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. Because, like, we we weren't involved in, like, the sorority or fraternity life, so we avoided some of that kind of, like, rigmarole that some people have to deal with. And this movie does deal with. Yeah, we just got drunk our in main a death character. trap house instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are stories oh, for another the cabin. <laughs> Sorry. You were saying... <laughs> Um, but no, so like Tree, our main character in this movie, played brilliantly by uh, Jessica Roth. Roth. Brief round of applause. Period for for Jen. Um, she's an she's she, an OG. She's great. Jessica is truly amazing in this movie because she takes a very realistic approach to that mean girl from high school who's now in college and hasn't changed into someone who has had a real, like, world-shattering month um, in that she is the only one who has experienced that month, and she has died, I think it's, like, 12 times in the um, course of this movie. Okay. Um, (laughs) We'll get into definitely the the repetition period, but uh, I'm going to just establish this for me, at least, for right now, just for the listeners to know. Um, I really... Really don't like Tree. Um, I really don't. But in a way that's like good and it, it contributes to the movie. I like her. I dislike her so much because like every character that I very much dislike, like in terms of like what they bring to the movie, it's because she's written brilliantly. She's written perfectly mm-hmm. to be what she is. Um, 
so like the growing up thing, like why we chose this movie, aside from the fact that we love it, it's set on college and it's the excuse we can get to talk about it. Yeah. Because <laughs> this because this movie has so much heart in it and so much genuineness for the characters that are in it, it really takes that part of um like changing is going through a lot of the same shit, but eventually looking mm-hmm. at it from a different perspective. Tree is such a horrible Godzilla-sized pain for everybody <laughs> in her life and everyone that she touches because she doesn't see other people's perspectives. And it takes her being mm-hmm. stuck in a Groundhog Day-style loop for, like you said, 12, at least 12 days for her to get mm-hmm. that at all. Um, and that's one of the it's like it's almost like, and I realized this at dinner, and I, I almost choked on my food. But it's kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge, how, like, you're supposed to hate him so much, but then by the end you're so enthusiastic that, like, he's so much better because he used to be Mm -hmm. so horrible. And I think that that's why I don't like her. Like, you have to almost completely hate her, and then Mm -hmm. the movie defies you by being like, okay, now we're going to spend the rest of this movie making you not want her to die. Yeah, it's it's almost taking this character that you know in any other movie would be the first kill and then completely forgotten about, yeah. but now it's going to take that extra step to make you care about her so that you want to see her succeed by the end of it. And it's funny because the first 15 minutes of the movie when you first are meeting this person before she dies, every single second that you're with her, you want her to die that much more. Like, mm-hmm. by the time she does die, you're like, good. I'm glad you're the worst. Uh, yeah, she is, but she gets better. But otherwise, mm-hmm. she would have just died the worst. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, my other note that I had for the growing up thing is um, maybe mm-hmm. if you weren't so self-absorbed and s- short-sighted, you'd notice that people have more depth than you thought. Even you, tree. Because she doesn't realize that she's just pretending to not be interested in anybody or anything because of the aforementioned deep, dark, horrible atrocities. Not atrocities. Just really deep emotional trauma that she has gone through over the last probably couple of years of her life to get her to this point. Like, she is so self-destructively terrible that she doesn't even Mm -hmm. know that she's doing it until she's died like half a dozen times. Yeah. Like, that's how much she's got to dig herself out. Yeah, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but for the first couple of deaths, she doesn't change anything. She's just like, nope, this is what I got to do. I got to go through it. I'll figure something out. And then she dies without changing anything, as if that's going to solve her problems, which is the definition of insanity. But I won't get into that now. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Speaking of getting into it, we let's let's get into it, man. Yeah. Um, but one more thing on the character bit that we're just gonna keep mm-hmm. harping on the whole time. But this is like the zenith of Blumhouse relatability on the spectrum of like characters they write that are like realistic um, to the point that like then they get something more like. Uh, um, would you rather that's like okay maybe a little bit too much like hello fellow kids um Mm -hmm. this is in the perfect middle sweet spot because it's a little bit weird but not weird enough that you couldn't see someone acting that way yeah 
Yeah, like it's just slightly heightened to make it work for this reality. Yes. But there's a re- there's a realistic chance that when you were in college, you might have known or known of someone who acts like these characters do. Well, and it's goes back to the guy, the writer, being a comic book writer. He's mm-hmm. he knows how to make characters relatable while still making them a little bit larger than life. He's just writing them in a scenario that would otherwise be a comically different situation, but he's trying to make it as relatable and real as possible. And I think that's, yeah, that's a very cool thing to try to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Danny, who is tree? What's her fucking deal? All right. So trees, this girl who, as we mentioned earlier, is in a sorority and she's just the worst. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Now, keep in mind, it's not that she's in a sorority that makes her the worst, no. but it doesn't help. Right. <laughs> it just makes, Especially, it just surrounds her with, like, other people that are going to make her shitty also. Not to say that say, all of them are terrible, but a lot of terrible people, they're it. Well, yeah, like, the leader of their sorority, or, like, the big of the bigs, <laughs> if I know my sorority terminology correctly. Yeah. Um, like, she's, she's a bitch. Dude, Danielle, she's the worst. Dude, Danielle's a fucking mid. She's just mid <laughs> as fuck, and I hate it, and I'm glad I said it. Um, okay, but do you want to know a little fun fact about Danielle? I would love to, In this actually. movie. <laughs> um, sh- her full name in this movie is Danielle Bowsman, which yes. is a reference to Darren Lynn Bowsman. I did but, catch that uh, in the credits, because I'm like... the I creators did. of Saw. <laughs> yeah, I love Darren Lynn Bowsman. Ba- we love Darren Lynn Bowsman. <laughs> We've talked we about him. We love him. I and I love that, that these nerdy, this nerdy comic book boy absolutely included little nods like that I mean, into his movie. Danny, I did that in the fucking BYOP last year. Yeah. <laughs> like, I did also, that and defied anyone to point it out. <laughs> also, this has nothing to do with Happy Death Day, but I've been going through a rewatch of... Um, Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide, because the first two seasons are on Netflix now. Yes. And no one can convince me that Billy Loomer was not named after Billy Loomis. No, he's also insane, so they definitely a, did that on purpose. He's a raging psychopath. No, they absolutely <laughs> did. I'm glad that you finished watching that show all the way through, like, three months ago, and then are just doing it again. <laughs> Listen, Matt, I don't need you to call me out like this in I'm front of all our you out. listeners. I'm just, I'm just observing this for the listeners who may not be privy to this information. Okay. Um, uh, um, so, anyway, when we first meet Tree in this movie, um, she's waking up in a, in a room that is not hers. Um, yeah, dorm room. Can you which fucking I don't want to say is... I don't want to say is common, but um, she doesn't seem all too concerned about it at first. As she wakes up to her happy birthday um, ringtone, which isn't the song Happy Birthday. It's a weird, like, electronic version of it. Dude, you know what's weird is in the trailer, it's the it's like the song that it's your birth. It's that song. But mm-hmm. in the movie, it's not. I have a reason for that. Oh, good, good. Okay. Um, so part of the reason that is, is because, yes, they used the actual song for the uh, trailers, but the film itself couldn't get the rights to the song. 
So they had to compose a ringtone for it. Oh my god. That had to be made for this movie because they couldn't get the 50 cent song. Yeah, okay, so it's a 50 cent song. Yeah. So okay, I like I assume the listeners know what we're talking about, but like I'm not going to sit here and try to sing it, but like it's that it's the 50 cent one. Mm-hmm. Um it's not in the movie, so it doesn't really matter. But yeah, in the trailer I'm like that would have made more sense and I would have been more okay with hearing the whole fucking movie. <laughs> Yeah, because that's something you're going to hear a lot, because in true Groundhog Day fashion, um, that's how it's going to start every time she has to start this day over. Right. So Tree, the horrible bitch who becomes a good Ebenezer Scrooge heel turn that we're going to that we've discussed already. (laughs) um, I mean, this in a loving way, but like people need to know going in like she's the worst, but it's okay. Hang in there. She's Um, the worst, but it gets better. Like to the point that like. You know, like, there's there's people in horror movies that I'm like, oh, you're kind of a douchebag. Like, when we watch Cabin Fever, like, the whole cast of that movie, I'm like, oh, you kind of just suck. But then there's always, like, the one character that's, like, particularly terrible that, like, you could tell the writer was, like, drawing from, like, personal experience to write. And Tree's that, where, like, she's just too real to, for me to, like, let go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but, anyway... Um, through a reason that I'm sure is not her fault because she's such a stunning darling peach, she ends up getting murdered uh, the night of her birthday um, by a a masked killer who's dressed as a baby because college mascots are weird. Which is the mascot. (laughs) Yeah, it's a a weird choice for us. I mean, we can't really judge. We're called the Leathernecks. Hey, but we Um, were founded by... Well, we weren't founded, but we were supported thoroughly by the Marines, and they are called the Leathernecks. It's true. So I get that. But it is... But let me tell you how hard it is to have to explain that our mascot is a bulldog, but we cannot be called the Bulldogs. The Bulldogs are the mis- mascot for the Marines. So basically, we're the Marines, but we can't say that because, like, that's a company. <laughs> that's, like, a thing that exists. <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, a much bigger deal than yeah, like, Western Illinois like, University. Yeah, like, it's, like, everyone that's a Marine, like, thinks, oh, okay, cute. But, like, if we said the Marines, they'd have to be like, <sighs> No, you're not. We are. We're the yeah. Marines. <laughs> but this is like the Bayfield Babies. Like, that's not a good idea. That was definitely like a rebranding because it was like 2002. Wait, isn't, Bayfield, isn't Bayfield freaky? I don't know. It was Maybe it's both. <gasps> that would track. I, that you know would what? absolutely I bet, track. I bet that's, it's like a little nod. Mm-hmm. But um, you're totally right. This college feels like it used to have like a super racist one, and then they had to like change mm-hmm. it in like 2009, 2010, and then like really couldn't settle on a good mascot, mm-hmm. so they ended up with Baby, and everyone just kind of was like, "Who gives a shit anymore? We don't even do well okay. in sports." <laughs> okay, so I do have to put this in here now that we're talking about the baby. Um, so this movie was filmed at uh, Loyola University in New Orleans. And um, a, the New Orleans basketball team, the Pelicans, has a mascot, which is called King Cake Baby. Um, and it, beca- it uh, started some legal issues between the Pelicans and Universal Pictures for copyright infringement. <laughs> oh, come on, let them have it. Um, and I hate to say this, but as of 2019, the lawsuit has not been settled, so I don't know where that ended up, but there's a chance that the Pelicans might have 
taken some of the money from this movie because they just happened to also have a baby mascot. I mean, again, Universal just like let it go. They're not making a bunch of money, I guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> like the guy that designed the scream mask designed your mask. You still win. Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Right. Because my man, Tony Gardner, is the designer of this mask, who we've talked about previously in uh, Hellfest and in um, fucking Darkman with uh, the Sam Raimi movie. Because this man has such a profound career that has been going... I believe let's, he's in his 29th year now. He started in 83 um, with his work on uh, the Thriller music video, yeah, which he actually makes an appearance in. He's the first zombie to break through the ground. Cool. Fun fact about him. Um, he's been a part of the makeup department for over 180 projects, and that's just as a makeup designer. Um, he's worked on such big things as, like, Hocus Pocus, um, the later Chucky movies, um, all of the Jackass movies he's involved with, including the TV show. Wow. Um, he did special effects makeup for Master Chef Junior for an episode when was Gordon like- <laughs> decided to go as a grandmother. I was gonna say, does he do one of those weird ones where Gordon dresses up and like puts prosthetics on? <laughs> yes, yes he is. Oh God, Gordon. <laughs> He's also done uh, things like uh, he did the makeup effects for Hairspray in 2007. Um, He was a puppeteer for the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Wait, so he was Um, one of the guys that like held the the sponge like in the real life. (laughs) He was Tony Gardner. He might have been the man who was like using the David Hasselhoff thing in the water. Yeah. He also did special uh, makeup effects in Batman and Robin, everyone's favorite Batman movie. Hey, everybody, chill. Chill. And he's um, one of the creators of the Evil Ash makeup effects Mm -hmm. in Army of Darkness and Evil Dead 2. And he was the head of the crew for uh, animatronic effects and special effects makeup in the 80s version of The Blob. Wow. Um, so he's kind of amazing in Holy that crap. he's done a little bit of everything over the past 30 years. He also helped like prototype the Spider-Man costumes for the Sam Raimi movie uh-huh. because he had worked with Sam before. Yeah, I mean... And on, now on he and Don Mancini are just like best friends. Um, well, yeah, so anything new that... Yeah, he started on Seed of Chucky, where he actually made an appearance as himself That's right. to get murdered. Yeah, he got killed. Um, and um, so he's a huge he's a huge part of the makeup world of um, Hollywood these days, both in and out of the horror genre. Yeah. I love the man. I am a huge fan of his work. His daughter is now um, making her way into the horror world. She has a documentary on... Living with Chucky coming out later this year. We finally found to someone to, to send it out. If we can ever talk to her, uh, about if that, anyone ever has to. connections, or I mean, to if she anyone in the this. Gardner family, <laughs> or I mean, if she um, hears this, just like 
we want to talk to you about your documentary. It's fucking awesome. I was like, I want to talk to anyone in the Gardner family just because they do such amazing work. Yeah. But that's... I'll stop my ranting about Tony Gardner because I could go on about that man for <laughs> days on all of the amazing things he has done over the years. Let's maybe not do it when we have his daughter on the show. Yeah, I think she'll get sick of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, so back to the killer. So it's a it could it's a very generic scream based killer. Where this mm-hmm. movie is a is a murder mystery whodunit set in a Groundhog Day style, where Tree continues to be murdered by this masked baby killer. Not a baby killer; it's mm-hmm. a capital B baby killer. Um, I'm calling him Babyface, <laughs> patent pending, just yes. like Ghostface, because Tony Gardner designed the mask for that also. Um, but uh, so Babyface is our killer for this. And just like Ghostface, they can pretty much be anyone that you want. Um, mm-hmm. So the there's a couple of things I have about it, but like when it comes to a slasher movie, the killer is like a huge big ingredient that can make or break the movie. I've seen some slashers where the killer is great. I've seen some slashers where the killer is fucking the worst. Um, mm-hmm. This one, it's very interesting because it's a good slasher, but it's it's very classic. It's a very like almost irrelevant to the i mean it's more or less like a mm-hmm. like a story function like it's the, it's the, it's not really a character it's more or less like it's a thing that makes your tree gets reset every single day yeah cuz you know well, yeah, and because yeah, i feel like going. part of that is that in comparison with some of the other slasher movies where you see the continual slasher as the main, as a main character of sorts who is leading the charge of these murders Instead, since it's all the same day and the same victim for the most part, the character of it isn't necessarily, like, what they do, but rather you become so enthralled in who is doing this that the character almost takes on multiple personalities throughout these different resets. Right, because, like, in that vein, I would say, like, the killer's a little messy, but it's you mm-hmm. kind of want that in this movie that's like just chaos. Like the killer yeah. doesn't have to follow strict rules; it just has to follow realistic restrictions. Like I'm not going to nitpick mm-hmm. because it it really doesn't matter how you know the killer is able to kill Tree all these times in all those ways, or like to be at places at specific times to do stuff specifically to catch mm-hmm. her. It doesn't really matter. Um, but. Uh, just in general, it fits with the model of the movie because it ha- it can be the killer can be fluid depending on what tree's personality is that specific day. Yeah. Oh, like depending well, like, on her approach. Well, yeah, because again, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but in some of the later days, she does genuinely change the way she goes about her day, which ends up changing a little bit of everything for everyone around her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like one that I'll spe- I'll specifically jump into right now is that one of the later days when she apologizes for just kind of being a bitch over the past few years, um, it throws off one of her roommates so much that in every day before then she had been offering her a cupcake and in that day she forgets to because she's just so taken aback by this huge change of like personality that trees seem to have overnight. Yeah, just like scaring everybody in her life 
new in a new way every day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so um, just one more thing about the killer again, just to jump ahead. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's because it's like the second or third. Because the, the, these were my notes, like as I was going through the movie. So it must be like the second or third day after she's been she's woken up in the same you know circumstances. Uh, mm-hmm. I just want to feature um, what I hope will be a reoccurring segment on our show that we've had a couple times impromptu. Uh, so welcome back, everyone, to How to Get Away with Murder Corner with not lawyers, Danny and Matt. Um, <laughs> so in this particular uh, instance, we're going to talk about um, this killer. So as chaotic as they are and as elusive as they are, um, not even saying who the killer is, but um, leaving a card with a threat on it. That's very super suspicious if that person were to, like, end up dead in a way that you maybe were trying to cover up as, like, an accident. Um, mm-hmm. That's going to make you look very suspicious, and you're not yeah, going to get away. It's not going to look good. No, you're not going to get away with murder. <laughs> <laughs> so, in our not-at-all-legal advice, because we're not lawyers, um, no. don't leave super suspicious notes for anybody who you think might end up dead yeah especially if you're involved with the death like if you're a masked killer clearly you don't want people to know who you are uh don't leave evidence like that that might lead them to you just put a mask on mm-hmm. and kill somebody <laughs> yeah that's how <laughs> you get, get away with murder. done that's how you gotta get away with murder by the way <laughs> anyway back to how mid as fuck danielle is okay yeah. So, um, everything that you think is wrong with sororities, um, Danielle is. She mm-hmm. is um, just as much of a huge bitch as Tree is. She just has something to prove. Uh, so she is very rude to her sisters. She's very um, blatant with her strict, like, you know, like, Sisters don't keep secrets, but, like, I'm gonna, like, hook up with guys behind your back. Or, like, you can't eat breakfast because it'll make you look fat. Like, she's just terrible. Um, Mm -hmm. The sequel tries to make her nice. We'll talk about the sequel someday, but, like, I'm still not convinced. Like, nah, (laughs) Danielle, you're super mid, man. You suck. Yeah, this... Yeah. Well, and I will say, um, the... Danielle is performed very well by uh, actress Rachel Matthews in her film debut in this movie, actually. Mm, yeah. Um, and she, ironically enough, is the niece of um, director Christopher Landon. Okay. And I think the granddaughter of um, someone who was in... Oh, shit. Hold on. I just had this with me. Mm. Um, but someone who was in a classic TV show... Um, uh, he, she's the granddaughter of Michael Landon, who was famous for doing Little House on the Prairie. Oh, okay. Back in the day. Uh, um, off topic, but um, she's really hot. So at the very least, um, <laughs> it's fun to kind of just watch her yell at you because you're like, <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I bring that up because okay. I'm I'm think I'm at the point in my notes where it's like that party, that surprise party that her sorority throws for her for her birthday, uh, where she meets yes. that guy that uh, comes up and like she punches him in the face, which is a cool mm-hmm. story. 
But then he like shows up to like apologize to her in like a cool, handsome way where he's like, Hey, here's a drink. We friends. And like, mm-hmm. it's so suave and nice. And I, I, I really like this guy, but <laughs> I don't know what his name is ever, but he's, I like him. Uh, but that's when like Danielle tries to like hit on him in front of her and it just mm-hmm. doesn't work at all. But uh, yeah, luckily for us, this nameless hero brings Tree an unworthy entry, uh, admittance, mind you, brings her to what he dubs the Pleasure Dome. He hits the lights in his room. Laser lights are happening. Music is pumping. He's got a like eight foot bong on his nightstand that she doesn't seem very impressed in. He starts dancing around. You know what? This is a cool guy. All right. I wish this guy didn't die. <laughs> I really just want to sing his <laughs> praises for like a second because the movie just brings in the coolest person ever and then kills them. And I don't appreciate Immediately. it. No, he doesn't deserve to be framed for murder by the killer using a shattered piece of his bong to kill tree as cool a kill as it is death by bong um this guy's gonna get blamed for death by shattered bong yeah shattered bong talk about a bong hit danny am i right uh yeah that was a good yeah that was a good that was a good one oh god okay man (laughs) (laughs) um but um so tree keeps dying right because she doesn't really so, know yeah. how to, like, start dealing with her situation. Uh, but, yeah, so as she's continuously dying, she decides that a good person to start talking to is uh, Carter, the guy whose room she keeps waking up in, which, honestly, is probably a good idea for a person to start talking to. Agreed. Considering he's there, and he obviously kind of cares about her. So Carter um, is the Danny Hollander of this movie. Uh, in another universe, you would have played this guy. <laughs> I'm going to take that as a compliment because I think that's no, how it's intended. It's a huge compliment because Carter rules. <laughs> <laughs> Carter's the best. Yeah, he he immediately jumps on board. He's like, all right, how can I help? Well, I guess that's not exactly true. It does take a little bit of uh, convincing. Yeah, because like, I don't know in if In true mentioned... Groundhog Day fashion... <laughs> Like, I don't know if we've mentioned before, but Tree's not nice, so I don't know how, like, what kind of person it would take for Carter to be to care enough about her to want to be like, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. Well, frankly, I think part of it is that in both the first reset and then there on forward, she actually remembers his name. I think that's a huge thing immediately for him to gain his trust. Yeah. Because since she is this character who you don't think cares about anyone other than herself based on her actions, (laughs) at least based on her previous actions. I don't know what she would um, have done to make anyone think that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But the fact that she not only remembers this boy's name, who she's probably met maybe once or twice and is just waking up hungover in his room. Um, the fact that she actually remembers his name and is talking to him like a person, which is a really low bar, but in this case, it's enough to show Carter that, like, oh, maybe she's not exactly what I thought she was, and maybe I can help her. Well, and even despite herself, he's one of the first people that she kind of, like, lets in on the fact that, like, she's afraid like Tree's mm-hmm. personality is not one to like let people in. 
So for mm-hmm. her to let him in uh, indirectly, she more or less just like had the door open and he was like, here, I'm going to like trust. I'm going to have you trust me by letting me in. I'm going to help you out. And you're going to see that like, this is genuine and you're going to bring those walls down a little bit. So like he was mm-hmm. the perfect little cherub faced little boy that she needed to like start her. He's like the ghost of Christmas past to her. Like, listen, bear with me, because I actually think no, you're this right. whole thing actually is a good one-to-one comparison. He's the ghost of Christmas past, leading her into, like, okay, maybe let's think about what it's like to, like, be a normal person with someone and, like, hang out around someone that doesn't, like, invalidate people's emotions or their feelings or prey on their weaknesses and doesn't, like, support that. He's, like, a good mm-hmm. guy, and he gets her to start remembering, like, oh, yeah, it kind of is cool to care about people Mm -hmm. because they'll care about you in return in a not good in a not bad way i'm you know the more i'm thinking about this the more your christmas carol analogy is really fitting yeah buddy fucking get on the train with me as we go through this i'm gonna keep going back to it because it absolutely works i'm gonna make it work even if it doesn't yeah (laughs) um but on that note about the you know like her getting better um the subtle changes in tree's mannerisms uh even like not even in just the way that she talks but like in just the little things in her actions on even just the second repeat like again the actress it cannot be stated enough how fucking great she is in this especially to Mm -hmm. pull off all of these things and in and to do them in such a subtle way i think it's very cool very very cool yeah definitely as we've said before major props to um, Jessica Roth who plays Tree in this movie she gives a standout performance in both this and the sequel yeah um, in that she has these great character arcs that Jessica is able to just kind of eat up in the most realistic way possible right Right. I think Um, it's because, like, you know, we all do by the middle of the movie, she probably read Tree and saw right through her. She's like, no, I know exactly the type of person that you are. Like, someone who mm -hmm. acts like this, it's because of these reasons. And Mm -hmm. that's so fucking great. Because you got to understand that, because that's how she plays it so well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, I feel like before we get too far away with it, I feel like we should mention another kind of, like, red flag about Tree's past. Um, she's hooking up with one of her professors who's married and works in the hospital at the school. Yeah, yeah. Um, the character's name is Gregory Gregory Butler. He's played by, uh, Charles Aitken, who... I don't think I know him from anything else. He looks familiar. I think he was in like one thing I saw after this. I don't remember what it was. Uh, mm-hmm. I I think he's cool. He's a good like creepy red herring for a lot of the movie just because he's he British is and scary. <laughs> yeah. He's also apparently a um, stage actor, which I appreciate always. Um, he got his professional acting debut in Oliver at the age of 10, Aww. which just feels right for a little English boy. I, yeah, it's like a uh, passage. 
It's that or Shakespeare. In order to be an actor in America, if you're British, you have to have done one of those two things. One or the others. Or if you haven't started with it, you do have to do Shakespeare later. Yeah, you always um, have to. I'm, I'm sorry, British actors, but it's just your rite of passage. You cannot get away yeah, from it. Yeah, just because you have an accent doesn't mean you're great at acting. You need to also be good at acting to be good at acting in this country. <laughs> I'm sick of British actors surprising me and being like, oh, I'm British or I'm Australian. I'm like, listen, okay, you may be great, but okay, just because you have a fancy accent, it doesn't mean you have to be so much better than everybody. <laughs> That's just such an American thing. And I'm feeling very American with this movie because it, it's just such like a uniquely American college experience because I haven't, I haven't really, we haven't really talked about like, we do have a movie lined up that does deal with like education internationally, wink, wink. Not mm-hmm. even in the way that relates, but like college in this movie and like college that we experience as like American students, uh, mm-hmm. I think it's defined by just like it being kind of low key terrible, but like everyone's kind of okay with it. Like mm-hmm. the fact that there's just like rolling blackouts at their college campus. Like, yeah, the lights keep going that's out. That's not a good thing. <laughs> and they're like, is it the killer? I'm like, no, it's. It's just the American education system failing as usual. It's the killer doesn't have supernatural powers. He's campus just sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did we get into this bell tower? The door wasn't locked. Wow, that's not safe. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Guess they're just a yeah, lawsuit there's, away. That's some realistic, <laughs> like college. I don't want to say negligence, but um. Character Some realistic college negligence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, back on the like the the Groundhog Day thing. So I wanted to ask, like, because I was thinking about this a lot lately. Um, just the concept of having to explain to someone that you know what's going to happen before it happens. Um, in this case, because you have you know keep reliving the same day, getting mm-hmm. someone to like believe you. Uh, tends to be kind of terrible. Um, I just watched the movie 12 Monkeys for the first time, which is about a man that gets sent back in time, um, and he gets locked up in a fucking mental asylum. So, like, trying to explain that, like, you're from the future and there's all these very specific things you know, it makes you sound insane. Um, Mm -hmm. But Tree's able to, like, drop them, like, one after the other to, like, flex to Carter that she knows what's going on. But, like... Even without that, it's still a nightmare to explain. So, like, what would be your strategy if you found yourself in a situation like this? You know, I really don't know. Because, yeah, it has to be, like, the worst to have to try to prove that you're omnipotent at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, like, you literally know, depending on how long you're in this loop, because, like, in Groundhog Day, it's assumed that he's been in that day for years um, but luckily, theoretically, it's only been a couple of weeks for Tree. Yeah. But, like, you know every single thing that happens, and the fact that you can just point them all out has to be kind of infuriating at a point. Right. Because, like, you're just so... And no one's going to believe... If anyone in their right mind is not going to believe that you know exactly what's going to happen in every given moment of a day because that's insane and no one should be able to do that. And in real life, no one can do that. No. (laughs) And the worst thing is 
you can't even like continue to prove it the next day because they're gonna start over. You're yeah. gonna have to start from scratch every time. Like towards the as the movie goes on, especially what we'll talk about here in a second with like the whole hospital climax. But like mm-hmm. at a certain point, like okay, just because she can wake up seemingly in an unlimited number of times, so she can die all she wants, it'll be fine as long as she's gonna try to like figure out who her killer is she can die as many times as she wants mm-hmm. um so the movie kind of establishes like dying has like no stakes but at a certain point like until with, with, it does yeah well like well i'm not even just talking about like the literal fatal stakes i'm talking more like at a certain point the waking up every day and losing everything you just did the second that you die and wake up even if you told everyone mm-hmm. everything at a certain point, the approach gets to be kind of like dying with unsaved progress or being stuck behind a save checkpoint in a video game. We're like stupidly yeah. dying once you're in too deep could mean starting all over again, which is infuriating, frustrating. And like, do you remember that um, John Tron video where he taught where he plays um, Takeshi's Quest? It's that game that's, like, super difficult, and if you die, you have to, like, start all over again, and it's, like, a super hard, impossible level game. Oh, God, yeah. This is like that, but in real life. Because, like, you don't know who the killer is, and even Mm -hmm. if you ever have everything going the way you did, like, that whole day, she uh, she makes all of the choice. She basically fixes all the problems in her life. But she has to die because she made one mistake that she's like, well, I can't finish the day with that mistake having been happened. I need to go back and do it all fucking over again. And, and it's like, that, oh, God, that that specific death is well, the one yeah. that means the most to me as a viewer. Of this We're definitely going to talk about I'm, it here. I say, I'm going to get into it. Um. But so in that day, she's kind of figuring out that there is this killer in the hospital um, who she's assuming is who's been killing her all this time because he's wearing the same clothes and he has a baby face mask by his bed. Yeah, and he's a serial killer who kills people that look just like her. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple (laughs) little clues in there. She's like, Um, "Mm, okay, I think maybe it's you, buddy. But so she figures that out and she goes in to stop the guy and she has a way to stop him. But before she has a chance to incapacitate him and make it so she can survive the day, he kills Carter in front of her. Yeah, man. So she knows that if she goes into this next day, she's doing it at the cost of his life and not hers which will get reset by the end of the day. Yeah, man. Which is the first time that she... In this whole movie, even in the multiple deaths, it's the first time she makes a choice for someone else's benefit rather than her own. Yeah, man, she and learns self-sacrifice. And that is how you know that she is genuinely growing throughout these repeated days. Yeah, uh, let's actually, let's unpack the hospital, the whole thing, and through the climax, just because it's such a, it's one of the best things in the movie. It's 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 so cool. That you can go from laughing at the murder montage early in the movie to being genuinely mm-hmm. on the edge of your seat while she's fighting uh, John Toombs. Uh, but so the the hospital that that this serial killer is being held in, um, it's on campus. 
it's mm-hmm. another example of how hospitals and slashers go together like fucking peanut butter and jelly, man. They just always Absolutely. have it, and they always will. Um, mm-hmm. Her starting out in the hospital um, when she's put there for the numerous amount of injuries that she has been carrying through uh, each of her deaths. Um, so that's how she starts to realize... Which I think realize... is a nice little... It's a nice little change from the Groundhog Day formula because yeah, in Groundhog Day, yeah, in Groundhog Day, no matter what he does, he wakes up the exact same way the that next day. In this movie, how she dies directly correlates to how she wakes up, and then when she's in the hospital, she realizes that all of the physical trauma that goes along with being murdered a bunch of times is sticking with her. Yeah, so that puts a a definitive end and uh, uh, like on the the loop, and it puts stakes with that loop. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're really gonna let this person have murdered you like twenty times and then die for real? Like that seems fucking awful. <laughs> yeah. So to you know th- that first time that she gets attacked is in is in the hospital, or the first time she gets attacked in the hospital is for those reasons. Um. It has uh, such a really cool slasher chase scene through the hospital, uh, and it has that uh, kill with the car, which is like so mm-hmm. fucking cool. Uh, the the whole candle dropping and like the 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 trail of gasoline, it's just like the mm-hmm. killer flexing. Because I feel like you know in this universe, like the killer has not tried to kill Tree yet. This is the first time they've ever done it. So, like, they anticipated it to be, like, a whole lot easier. So that was just them, like, flexing because they're like, damn, this was, like, well-earned. Like, I'm going to go home and sleep mm-hmm. good tonight. This was, like, a well-earned definitive kill. <laughs> well, and, like, so much of that kill isn't even due to the killer. It's that Tree just happens to think it's a good idea to get arrested, which if she had gotten back to jail, it could have been. But the fact that she's locked in the back of a police car while it uh, gas is leaking is just the worst combination. Yeah, it was very Strangers Pray at Night when I uh, when I rewatched it this yeah. time. <laughs> um, but yeah, that very next time is when she she feels she hears about um, the serial killer in the hospital. She puts two and two together and decides she's gonna go fucking kill him. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said, it's John Toombs is the to keep with our analogy so far. He's the ghost of Christmas yet to come. He's not just because of death, but like because he's the like, this is how it's going to end. If you don't make a change, I'm going to just kill you mm-hmm. every single time and you can't stop me. So mm-hmm. that's like the this is the stakes is you're going to be dead I'm the walking representation of your mortality. So unlike A Christmas Carol, the spirits are like out of order because what we're going to talk about in a bit, that's what I think is the, um, the Christmas present, which in A Christmas Carol and in this movie is when the horrible, shitty, horrible, awful main character who's still kind of shitty, horrible and awful, but like they're willing to change. This is when they make that full perspective shift because someone very close to them lets them be vulnerable and truly gets them to shift their perspective. And that scene, Danny, is the heart of the movie. Take it away. Okay, so throughout this movie, 
to set some groundwork for how much this scene matters, um, Tree has been actively avoiding a phone call with her dad because it is her birthday, and um, she wouldn't talk about why she doesn't like to celebrate her birthday for the longest time, but she finally breaks down to Carter that this day she used to share her birthday with her mom, who passed away a few years ago. And so ever since then, she just can't really get through this day without letting her, like, walls down a little bit and kind of just breaking down. And so she's supposed to have a, like, lunch or dinner with her dad every year on this day, but she never goes to it because she just can't bring herself to actually think about the fact that her mom is gone until this one reset. Um, she finally decides that it's the right move to go to her dad, who thinks that she's just ignored him again, so he's getting ready for the check by the time she shows up. And when she does show up, the thing that ultimately starts my heart breaking, this, mo- this scene does make me tear up half the time I watch this Is it movie. the first thing that she says to him? Because that's what I did. Yeah, because he just tries to start having a regular conversation, and she just stops him and says, can we not do that? I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, she talks about how she wants to talk about her mom not being there anymore, so she can finally actually let the tallest and strongest wall that she has built up, she's finally letting it topple down in front of the person who is ultimately also feeling the same pain that she is, because that he also he as much as she lost her mother he lost his wife who they both obviously still care so much about and i can tell this day can't be easy for either of them because both of them lost someone to celebrate that day and it's the first time in years they talk about it and much like in haunting of hill house it is important to talk to your family about emotions or else that's how ghosts happen well, and but, I think that um, the the big paradigm shifting Scrooge dis- perspective shifting that she gets, you know, her tiny Tim is her dad because mm-hmm. the like she doesn't just go to that dinner and be like, you know, let's talk about mom. Let's finally like move past this. She comes to apologize because mm-hmm. not only did she lose her mother and he lost his wife, he also lost her. Because as soon as Mm -hmm. his wife died, she regressed into herself. She abandoned him. And she comes in and is like, I'm sorry for leaving. I'm sorry for for shutting you out. And Mm -hmm. to see that, to apologize for that, to understand and empathize with, yes, that it was unfair and sad that this thing happened to her. It also happened to him, too. But she Mm -hmm. chose to hurt her father that way she apologizes specifically for hurting him and i think Mm -hmm. that's her big switch of this is you seeing because you've just learned self-sacrifice this is you seeing the consequences of your own actions that's you Mm -hmm. really thoroughly not only moving past your trauma but that's you evolving into like a productive mentally healthy adult who you have to understand that like if you're going to be self-destructive, you can. Sure, that's your own decision. Fine. But you have to understand that your choices also have consequences to the people that care about you, especially if mm-hmm. those people are also hurting and you are willfully ignoring their own feelings. And that's one of the yeah. reasons I just was so 
I didn't like her is I hate people that just don't care or don't get what people are emotionally feeling and not mm-hmm. just because they can't because they've got their own bullshit. They have to understand that they have to take responsibility for that bullshit and then move past that because the world mm-hmm. is not just going to keep repeat the world. Even though the movie is her only her repeating the same thing over and over and over again, it's not about her, mm-hmm. which I think is super important and weird that, you know, in this whole thing, like that's yeah. the big thing. Um, but yeah, you texted me during this scene and were like, I forgot how much heart this movie had. And I'm like, are you, <laughs> I mean, I, I accurately guessed him. Like, you know, it, it's that scene with her dad. And you're like, yeah, that's the one I'm on. Yeah. <laughs> well, because if you've seen this movie, you know, this scene, because this yeah. is the scene, despite all of everything else that happens in this movie, this is the scene that sticks with you after you leave it. Yeah, it's the one that no, I remember being no, in the theater going like, Jesus Christ, is this the same movie? <laughs> yeah, no other scene is going to hit you and stick with you quite like this scene does. Yeah. Because this scene is the most real human emotion of the entire movie. Yeah. This yeah. is the crux. Uh, this one is the of, crux of her character arc. It, it is. And it, it, one of my favorite lines from it that she says that really showed me that she had learned is she talks when she's talking to, I think it's her dad. Maybe it's Carter right before she talks to him, her dad, mm-hmm. but she's talking about her mom and she very plainly says she wouldn't be proud of the person I am now. I'm not a good person. And I'm like, yeah. not only was she admitting that people might disapprove of her, she has enough perspective finally to address that she is self-destructive and that's mm-hmm. she can't just fall back on, well, my mom's dead. It's like, no, you've made choices to actively make people's lives worse. Yeah. And, and But it's the you know what? That's the first step. And I, I am all for people getting that first step. I love seeing it in her. I think that's one of the reasons that, like, I really like her turnaround. Like just for all the shit that I give her character, I do love her because of this, but I have Mm -hmm. to, it has to come from a place of, I really don't like her. I want her to get to this point. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of have to root for her to change throughout this movie. Yeah. I think that's one of the cool things this movie makes you do is like, we're going to spend 10 to 15 minutes making you want her dead and justifiably. So, and then we're going to defy you by the, by the end of this movie, we're going to, get you to care about her more than you ever thought yeah. you would have. And just like Ebenezer Scrooge, when he's made it through the whole gauntlet, it leads to the be- like the best part of a Christmas Carol where Scrooge is like good and he's helping everyone. And it's like the best happy tree makes my heart happy when she's mm-hmm. nice to people. And she like is so unapologetically herself and she lifts everyone up it's just, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like the sun has come out into the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I know. Let's talk about the ending. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it's not Tombs. The killer is not Tombs. She not. kills Tombs and still dies. And still dies in that night. And w- why does she die that day, Matt? Uh, because she breaks Kappa rules and eats a cupcake. Yep. She eats, she shares the cupcake with Carter. Yeah, In man. the ending of the happy day. Which also, I will say, that's one thing that kind of frustrates me about this movie. 
I know. Uh, like, she did everything right, and then she's going to do it all fucking again. It's like when I beat God of War 3 on Chaos Difficulty, but it didn't save during the credits. And it's like, did I even beat it on Chaos Difficulty? I think so, but yeah. did it? If, oh, God. Oh, I'm sorry. The movie. <laughs> the movie is what we were uh. talking about. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so someone we haven't really talked about much in our uh, discussion here so far is uh, Tree's roommate in her sorority house, Lori. Um, yeah, we've pretty much only seen of... her as a nurse who is like kind of just there like, oh, I'm clearly like a normal person and my roommate is the worst. I'm going to go work at the hospital. Here's a cupcake. I made this for you because I gave a shit. And that's all we've really seen of her at all. Yeah, so we really haven't seen her much. We know she works at the hospital. We know she's her roommate. Um, but in the end, we're realizing why she's suddenly such an important part of this whole thing. Is that she's the one who's been causing all the death. Right. Which would explain why and how she left a card in her room. Again, Sweetheart, Lori, you're not going to get away with murder if they find a birthday card in her room and you're on the short list of suspects of people that would have killed her. Mm -hmm. Also, <laughs> little side note for you, Matt. Um, so, uh, Lori is played by uh, Ruby Modine, um, who, most re who one of her most recent credits is she was in the music video for one of Ghost's new songs, Call Me Little Sunshine? No way! Uh, that, it's yeah. a weird music video. I'm going to have to rewatch it. As I, I haven't watched that one yet, but I figured you would want to know about that. Yeah, I've definitely watched it, and there is a woman in it, but it's just a really trippy-looking music video, so I don't know if I recognized her. I'll definitely watch it after this. Also, anyone, yeah. including you... Uh, Ghost just released a music video for Spillways, which is one of the best songs on the new album. They're definitely playing it on tour this fall. I can't wait to see it live. And the video is superb. Hell yeah. Um, but yes, Lori gets turned into a ghost. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, but I do love her like reasoning. So the whole thing, why Lori cares at all, is that that teacher that we mentioned that Tree was sleeping with, he also mm -hmm. is a doctor at the hospital that Lori works at, and she's, like, in love with him and wants to mm -hmm. bone and is jealous that he's fucking Tree. Even though, we, again, he's married. Um, but uh, so she d gets it in her head that she's going to kill Tree. To, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, she bakes her a poisoned cupcake to eat but because tree is such a raging godzilla sized pain in the ass like i said uh she doesn't eat the cupcake on the way out in the morning so tree not tree lori in a brilliant maneuver pivots immediately to um frame the convenient uh serial killer ex machina that just dropped into her, her hospital give him a mask mm. and a knife uh, and drug him so that she can free him uh, so we can stage like an escape and then she will dress up like the same baby face killer that she framed tombs to look like murder tree mm -hmm. everyone will assume that tombs got a, you know did it he might even cop to the murder i don't know he might have killed enough people that he doesn't remember and then she gets mm -hmm. away scot-free of course she's gonna get talked to by the police about the birthday card 
but it doesn't really matter. But, and Tree rightfully so goes, so this is all just over some guy? And then it gets better, because she's like, well, no, you're a dumb bitch, too. And I'm like, I don't know, that's fair enough. I mean, to me, I'm like, I mean, I get why someone would want to kill her. But yeah, just to articulate, like, you're just the worst. You're just a dumb bitch. I'm like, yeah. Sometimes yeah. that's all you need, I guess. <laughs> um, and yeah, so then a little scuffle ensues, which eventually leads to uh, Tree kicking Lori out the second story window. Yeah, she with fucking poison stage transitions fucking Lori out their window. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say that, like, there's no way Tree could have gotten away with that, because that's murder. I mean, that's self-defense, but but sure. We're not lawyers. (laughs) But again, we're not lawyers, so don't take our legal advice. Uh, (laughs) And so that leads us into um, what is the theatrical ending, um, where... Tree ends up waking up the next day, and Carter has set her phone to do the same thing it did yesterday, just to fuck with her, because he's that kind of guy. Yeah, we don't know much about Carter. He could be shitty. Yeah, he could be, but... She's he, only known him a day. He's, <laughs> it's, it's true. And so, uh, they end up having their, like, happily little kiss, and all is well again in the world, because they actually get to move forward with their lives for once. Yeah, and it sets up the sequel, which you don't know until you see the sequel, but like the first scene in the in that movie is the last one in the theatrical release. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, this movie used to have a very different ending. Tell us about it. Um, so, in the film's original ending, after uh, Lori kill or after Tree kills Lori at her place, um, Tree is not doing well because she's died 12 times and her body does not like it. So she goes to the hospital and, um, the doctor tells her that she shouldn't have any pain medication for a day because of her, the extent of her injuries. And then a nurse comes in and starts to, um, try to give Tree some pain medication and Tree's like, ah, oh, no, you shouldn't do that because the doctor just said uh, that I shouldn't take anything for right now. And then the nurse reveals herself to be Dr. Butler's wife. <laughs> um, and uh, she doesn't say it's for Tree's pain. She says it's for her own. Damn. And then she kills Tree in the hospital bed in revenge for the affair that she was having with her husband. I kind of love that ending. <laughs> Um, it did not do well in sc- test screenings, right. so um, Christopher Landon put in a um, different ending in the theatrical release, which did end up leaving an opening for a sequel, which I think the original ending wouldn't have done. No. Um, especially since, at that point, you'd have to wonder, would the timeline reset again, and would you have to look out for... <laughs> two different killers then because that makes things a whole lot more complicated i don't know but what it does do this new ending what it does establish is another reason that maybe tree should die uh she confesses in a cool fun like end of the movie pan away joke when carter's like hey this is a lot like that movie groundhog day and she's like i've never heard of that and he's like what you've never heard of bill murray and she's like no and he's like what you haven't seen ghostbusters 
And then she admits to never having seen Ghostbusters, Danny. What and, do you think about that? And this is that? why me and this is why me and Tree would never work. No. Because not only has she never seen it, but she's apparently never heard of it. Yeah, and like she's that the just worst, hurts me remember? to my core. <laughs> <laughs> she's got a lot of like deprogramming to do, but like, come on, Tree. Ghostbusters. You were it's ch- Ghostbusters, for God's sakes. Like, your mom was only been dead for a couple of years. You had, like, a full <laughs> childhood to, like, be a normal child. Why haven't you seen Ghostbusters? I don't know. It's not, like, a sin if you haven't seen Ghostbusters. We can admit that, but, like... It's it's not a sin, but I will judge you a little bit for it. But that's just because it's me. Well, and I mean, you all know your Duke of Spook loves his Ghostbusters. Honestly, if you're listening to this podcast this far and you haven't seen Ghostbusters, uh, I mean, if you like the show at all, I would recommend seeing it because it'll say a lot about one of us. Uh, we also <laughs> did a thorough episode about it. Um, so you could just listen to that, and it's like having yeah. seen Ghostbusters with us commentating. It's about as long as Ghostbusters is. Straight up, because we just do play-by-play <laughs> the whole movie, and I'm like, I kind of dig this, because then we did the same thing for Ghostbusters 2. Uh, and that was so great, because you hadn't seen Ghostbusters 2 before then. No, it, we we came over to watch, uh, or sorry, to record Ghostbusters, because you and I had watched it in theaters that previous fall. Uh, and mm-hmm. then we watched Ghostbusters 2 for my first time, and then uh, we recorded Ghostbusters 2 right afterwards. Uh, what a good time that was. Yeah, go look back and listen to those episodes. I've been listening back to some of our old episodes, and it just reminds me of like the, the pure untapped chaos that was the Halloween episodes cannot be understood. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Like, Saw was chaos, but it was like controlled slightly chaos. organized like everyone chaos. it was organized but like we all knew that that was what was going to happen halloween mm-hmm. it's just like i almost don't want to keep listening to it yeah <laughs> <laughs> we promise our, that all of the series we do from here on out will never ever be like that they also won't no. be as dense as saw i promise yeah, they'll I think be, they'll be in the middle. At least not until Saw X comes out, and then we have to go back into the denseness. Well, hopefully it'll be a lot longer because hopefully one of us will be writing it. Uh, that's yeah. a perfect world <laughs> for me, but yeah, I'll have a lot of thought. We might as well just do a spinoff bonus podcast that's just like when we can talk about Saw, just so I have some kind of outlet so I don't like explode. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, follow our Instagram at the underscore square horror podcast. You can reach us at squarehorrorpodcast at gmail.com. Folks, I cannot recommend this movie enough. It's not currently streaming anywhere as of recording of this episode. Um, But if you can find it at your local library, at a Walmart or something for fairly cheap, it's definitely worth checking out. I, I cannot recommend it enough. If you know... At least I know I own it, so if you ever need to borrow it and you're near me, I think Matt has it. I actually, embarrassingly, don't. Um, I had to borrow my brother's copy, and I'm like, this has come Ah. full circle. I started, you know, there was a summer years ago when I was starting to buy a bunch of horror movies that he's like, hey, can we, like, watch all of them? Because I kind of want to get into them. And now Mm -hmm. here I am, like, consulting his tomes for (laughs) movies. (laughs) Because he's got like tomes, it. too. 
Yes. Uh, but Respect I mean, with this tomes. movie, you can and I rent it on YouTube for a couple of bucks. It's. it's I, I say I know like it's, it's on Amazon for three or four bucks. Yeah, like it's worth it. Like it's so good. It's such a ride. Um, yeah. It's one of the better movies I feel like we'll cover, especially when it comes to like marketing two squares, because mm-hmm. it's a. It's such. It's just a great movie for any audience. It just happens to yeah. also be a slasher, you know. <laughs> I was like, this one more happenstancely is horror. This one feels much more in the vein of the comedy aspect of it, because like the trees you the trees the kills you see of tree in this movie aren't graphic in any sense of the imagination. This movie is rated PG thirteen. Yeah, I don't even so really that think tells you it's like a little bit more tame, blood, really. Like there's blood on a I, knife, but like that's just. I say to be I think like, there's. Yeah. To yeah, it's just to symbolize that they are dying. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for the most part, all the deaths are off screen or very tame. There are some that make for some really interesting cinematic um, transitions back into the morning, which I appreciate because I think those are always really cool. Um. But yeah. Highly recommend checking out this movie. Matt, do you know what we have up next week for the podcast? Yes, I do. So this is technically our farewell to college. Um, I know college has been a little bit quicker uh, than high school was, but um, (laughs) high school, there's a lot more growth involved. Um, And Mm -hmm. because college, as we know from one of the hosts of this show, uh, sometimes (laughs) if you're not ready to end a thing, you can just start grad school, which we're going to do now with Hostel next week. Yes, we're we're jumping in. It's going to be a little different than Happy Death Day. It'll be a Um, lot more different than Happy Death Day, Danny. (laughs) I'm going to not even pretend to... Hostel's going to be rough, okay, gang? It's it's going to be an interesting one to talk about. Speaking of which, when I was on vacation, I had a downtime one day, and uh, Hostel 3 is on Netflix, and I gave it a watch. It's actually not that bad. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Interesting. I actually just picked up a Hostel 3-pack from Walmart with all three of the movies. Awesome. It Let's like watch five all three. Bucks. So I think I'm I think I'm finally going to get around to seeing Hostel's Part 2 and Part 3. You haven't even I've seen only part seen the two? first at this point. Oh, I have not dude. seen Part 2 yet. After watching part three, I mean, it's gotten me great because I'm, I'm, I'm about in the mood to start watching Hostel. And after I watch that one, I'm going to want to watch two because two fucking rules. And Steph will attest to that because I gave her the two pack and she's like, mm-hmm. I liked Hostel, but Hostel 2 was amazing. And I can't believe you haven't seen it. So I'm definitely going to watch along with you uh, the, the trilogy. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very excited to talk about Hostel. We've got one more grad school movie after that which will remain a surprise until at least next week and then uh we're gonna be uh we've got some more stuff coming that's gonna be yeah we got some stuff in the pipeline yeah it's gonna be a real roar yeah (laughs) (laughs) well until that time you stay spooky out there and have a good birthday 